Welcome to Grand New Podcast. We are here. We are back with a Republican. We have been talking to some Democrats lately, you know. I know. Feeding. <laughs> they just they wanted to come on. We can't help that. We can't help that. So we are glad to have our fr- friend of Bearing Drift. He gets title friend of Bearing Drift because we love him. Our editor adores him. Um, we're just we're just so happy to have Delegate Glenn Davis. Delegate Davis represents Virginia Beach in the General Assembly. Um, and so, Glenn, we're glad to have you. So we're going to ask you a super controversial question to get started with. It's going to make a lot of people mad. Are you excited about the new season of Mandalorian coming out? Oh, definitely. My, my wife is waiting forward for the next season of what she calls Baby Yoda. Um, and, uh, and I'm all excited about the Mandalorian part. But I do have to agree, Baby Yoda is pretty damn cute. And uh, so he kind of still Did you show. notice, though, did you notice uh, Rosario Dawson's playing Ahsoka? From the no. Wars. no, yeah, I didn't. Slow really. it down, and she's in the background. She's the thing that disappears. That. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. Not to completely nerd out, but like <laughs> the Mandalorian. I don't know. The Mandalorian reminds me so much of like a western. Like it's just like it's a, very western. Much a western. It's very much like a western, and it's very fun to watch. And it's just, I don't know. It's super fun. But that's it not was better than the last Star Wars trilogy. Let's put it that. It way. was yes. I'm not, I'm not gonna, we're gonna get a lot of hate mail for this, but I would agree that the main- No, before we dive into politics, Glenn, I have to get you on, I have to, please agree with me on this. People need to apologize to the prequels after seeing this latest trilogy. Yes, yes, I agree, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had to put that together for a second, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, no, it, I mean, look, I, I'm old school, right, so- you know, it's Empire Strikes Back is always the quintessential Star Wars movie for me. And, uh, you know, Jar Jar Binks, I mean, you could not have, you know, screwed that movie up anymore. Um, and, uh, and it was crazy. But I will tell you that The Mandalorian is as bit of every quality and, and storyline as you would expect from the original Star Wars of yeah. us growing up. It was, they did a tremendous job. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things is, is that it's just, I don't think, and they probably, I don't think the Mandalorian was made to sell toys. And I think, mm-hmm. and I think the, some of those, some like the prequel tr- or the sequel trilogy was just made to sell toys. And I think, and now it's totally messed up and everybody's got to have a baby Yoda. But anyway, you're running for Lieutenant Governor. That's super important. <laughs> um you're running again, and you're not going to use an RV this time, which um controversial, to say the least. Um, well, we have it still. You, you may see it popping around, but you know it's COVID, so, you know, we can't uh, go into all the events that were there four years ago, you know, aren't happening now, but, uh, but it may make an appearance here and there. Well, you're running for lieutenant governor, and so I, I want to comment on this field, Mm-hmm. This field that, and we're not going to comment on a certain not Republican from Chesterfield. We're not going to comment on her, but we're going to comment on the serious ones. We're going to comment on Bill Carrico from Grayson. We're going to talk about Kirk Cox from Colonial Heights, who's former speaker. We'll talk about you and Tim Hugo. Mm-hmm. This is a field of serious statesmen mm-hmm. who 
I think see what's going on in Virginia and they're hitting a panic button and going, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like they see what's going on in Virginia government and they go, I, everything we ever worked for is gone. Yes. Is that, did I just sum up why you're running in like two sentences? Matt, in a, in a nutshell, I don't think I could have been as concise. I mean, remember, I, so I was an aide to Bob McDonald back in the mid nineties. So I was there for uh, truth and sentencing. I was there for welfare reform. I was there when they're really, even though the Democrats had the majority uh, back before Allen, and then when Allen came in, you were able to still work together to get big stuff done. That's gone. We're undoing the success of the 90s. We're killing small businesses. I mean, never mind being, we're number one for business and job, job growth, you know, last year, the new rankings haven't come out. Uh, in two years, we won't be in the top 10. Uh, we're killing small businesses and we're undermining the civility that Virginia's always been known for. And if it, this isn't, if we don't get it fixed now, it'll be decades. Matt, you saw this um, when the Republicans took control back in the 90s. We, after over two or three election cycles, we got the majority and it's been decades. If we go one more cycle um, losing more and more seats, it will be decades before the Republicans see control of the General Assembly again. Well, Glenn, not only, not only that, a newest study also said that now Virginia is in the top 10 most expensive states to live in in the country. It's number eight above Hawaii. So now all the blue state politics have come here. I believe I read this correctly on Twitter. Your wife is from New York, correct? Yes. Yeah, I'm a New York native as well. Um, now the Republican Party, I mean, the Republicans used to have Giuliani. We used to have Pataki. It was an emerging red moderate state. The Republican Party in a few cycles is now extinct. Yes. And it's not coming back. And I fear... That's going to happen in Virginia unless serious statesmen like you, you know, step forward. Well, I think, and, 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 and that's exactly what this is about. You know, when I ran four years ago, I said I'm running to make Virginia number one for business and job growth. And, and I, you know, number one in the CNBC polls. And I wanted to help grow businesses here and bring businesses here. And a couple years later, we became number one, no thanks to a Democratic governor, but a Republican Senate House was able to make that happen. And honestly, I thought we were going to be, you know, kind of a smooth sailing scenario. And then last year happened, and I don't think anyone could have imagined how bad the Democrats overreached um, going after all small businesses last year, then how poorly this COVID issue was mismanaged by the administration, the attack on the Second Amendment. And so it got me right back to where I was, which is this passion for a commonwealth I love that gave me so much opportunity. And we need to protect that American dream. And if we're not careful, you're right, we're going to be New York. And I still haven't even touched on the fact that I never could ever imagine a governor that mandates or that pulls down the American flag off of a piece of construction equipment for July 4th. I mean, that just, it just blew me away. So, well, And we have, to, we have to be clear, this is a governor who has stretched the rubber band too far. This is a governor that has done things that, you know, McAuliffe was a lot of things. McAuliffe wouldn't have done this crap. No, no. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't no. have. So, McAuliffe was a businessman. That's yes. the, McAuliffe at least had a business sense and a business mind. I bet you McAuliffe wouldn't have shut down businesses for months right. and starved this economy. I don't think that would have happened. No, no. I mean, for the first time since COVID's been going on, the governor is talking about the increase in suicide rates and, and that sort of thing. 
where was he three months ago when I was doing videos on that second curve of mental health cases going up, suicide attempts and, and the suicide rates going up? I mean, this is nothing new. I and others have been talking about this and now he finds himself over to this line. Um, you know, the impact on small businesses, it, it blows me away that he's seeing small businesses close, some of them never to reopen, and the alarm is not going off in his head saying this could be problematic for the Commonwealth, not just for a year, but for, you know, five, six, seven years to come. Um, because it's one thing to say, okay, we're gonna shut down some businesses, but when you shut them down and those jobs are gone for good, there's no job for those individuals to go back to. Well, and, right. the, and not, only, not only jobs, Glenn, you're talking about seven years, you know what else is going to be damaged in seven years? Our children. Yes. I'm a teacher. Okay, the fact that Larry Hogan led the way in Maryland yep. to open up our schools safely, safely, might I add, put real plans forward. This governor has done nothing right. to help schools, to help teachers. It's all on us. And the, how much growth is going to be lost, our SOLs, our accreditation, it's all screwed up. Well, and, and I, I just want to admit that I hate SOLs. I think they're ridiculous. Oh, they I, totally are. Well, now, Matt, they're pointless because you know what? The data we can't collect because the parents are doing work for them. Yeah. Right. The, and and it's, I don't know. We could talk about education all day long. Sorry, Glenn, you got us fired up. Oh, you got us fired up. Star Wars, Northam bashing. I, I'm with you, you know, I, and, you know, I hear from teachers down this way too. You know, teachers don't get into teaching for the money. I mean, obviously we need to make sure that they can make money, take care of their family. They do it for the passion, usually because they can remember a teacher making a difference in their life, like we all can. And they know that they cannot best educate a child when that child is on, the, on those children or on the other side of a computer screen. And this is not a, a simple, I missed something today, I'll get it next year. It's a foundation, one year builds on the next. And as we all know, because we all had that one situation, for me it was math, where I had this one bad year Same. and I dropped calculus five times in college, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you don't get the foundation, you're done. And yeah. so this rule is going to impact the, 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 the full potential of our children as they continue going on forward in life and in their future career. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, like back to my point is we're seeing some folks who have served in the legislature for years and they, in your case, you were there with Bob McDonald, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and you see that this is not, this is not how we should run a state. Mm -hmm. And we can't run a state. Can I just, can I just rant for two seconds? Police officers in this country aren't paid enough. Teachers aren't paid enough, but police officers get shot at. They're not paid enough. And then we're going to try to jerk away their qualified immunity. And then you know, the games on the Democrat side with the qualified immunity bill were just, it was comical to watch on Twitter between, you know, Samira and Jeff Bourne and like those guys, like, I was just like, I was sitting back just eating popcorn and like, it's a serious issue. I hate to joke about it, but, but the way they bickered back and forth was just, so I, I just, our state is turning into a socialist crapshoot. And I mean, I hate to be that way. I hate to like, but it's true. I mean. No, Matt, Matt you're 100% right. I mean, the whole concept of defund the police, I mean, really, it's, it's crazy. 
I mean, who in the right mind thinks that not having law and order is a good thing, right? And like you said, I mean, look, I go to work every day, and we know none of us are promised tomorrow. But my wife knows when I leave in the morning, she doesn't think twice that I'm coming home in the evening. There are a lot of those that they don't have that same comfort, that they know and their family knows when they walk out in the morning, there's a real chance that they may not come home that evening. And for us to go and say, now when you make that traffic stop, it's not just that we're going to make sure that you think about, are you doing something criminal, which is already prosecutable. I mean, it's qualified immunity, meaning you have to qualify for it. But if we take that away, now we're going to make you think twice because you may be sued civilly and send your family into bankruptcy. Now, you know, the last, when I have to second guess something, it means I take a few more minutes to make a decision. When an officer is forced to second guess something, sometimes he doesn't live. I mean, that's, we have to be very careful putting additional burdens on our officers and putting their family at risk. And that's exactly what they're doing. So when the Democrats say this is an attack on law enforcement, yes, it is. Well, I mean, I now, I was with Kirk Cox all weekend and we were talking about there's 200 or some vacancies at state police right now. Mm-hmm. About right 200 vacancies at state police. That means, you know, people just don't feel safe in Virginia right now. I, I mean, I hate to admit it. Even here in Roanoke, we don't, I mean, I don't even know what you guys are feeling in Northern Virginia or Virginia beach. Man, have you been to a gun store recently? When I go to a gun store and there's a line of people buying firearms and inventory's low, and man, it's not just Republicans, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's Democrat, Republicans, you know, people that are, you know, Blacks and Asian and, and, you know, it's just everyone. And that's not because all of a sudden people are taking up target shooting. They really are concerned for their safety. Well, I mean, have you tried to buy ammunition lately? I mean, Matt, I think you touched on something where, I mean, and Glenn, you know, it must frustrate you, especially as as a legislature. Virginia is simply not competitive anymore. Virginia does not pay police anything. The average salary, I believe, of a police officer is 40 grand. That's peanuts. The average salary of a teacher's salary in Virginia is 42. Once again, peanuts. So, and Virginia is one of the richest states in the union. Yep. And that's like, where's the money going? Why can't we be competitive? And I mean, I guess, is this why your name was floated potentially as a candidate for uh, the second district Mm -hmm. uh, for Congress? Is this why you wanted to focus more on the state as, as another go for lieutenant governor? Because there's so many stuff wrong here that you could directly impact? I'll tell you, I like to make a difference. I I don't need titles. I could care less what my title is or if I have one. And to tell you the truth, being one of 435, I just figured someone's going to throw me out of a window where I was going to jump out of a window, honestly. I don't do well in bodies that don't get stuff done, that want to keep putting their heads in the sand, that it's about politics more than governance. Um, So that's why I stayed at the the state level. That's the rubber meets the road closer. Um, and that I think as a lieutenant governor, I can go in, like I said four years ago, and push an agenda. And that's what this is about. You know, you touch on the, the, the teacher salary right after coronavirus hit and the governor pulled back all the funding and, and all the additional funds. I came out in front of over 100 business people and I said, the governor's wrong. I, if I had my way that you have to prioritize, right? Those teacher raises were stained. Now, the teacher unions don't support me, but I'm smart enough to realize that we're losing our best teachers 
and not just always to North Carolina, we're losing them to the corporate world. I mean, our teachers are, are so well-trained and they work so well, especially with this deep learning stuff, that if you can do that in a group of high school kids, you can do that in a boardroom, right? So we need to make sure that we, we incent our teachers to stay, to continue on that path. And more importantly, if you wanna show teachers value, that you truly value them, don't just give them a raise when things are good. Everyone gives them a raise when things are good. Give them a raise when things are tough. That's how you show that they mean something. But what the governor pulls up. Especially, Glenn, if we were expected, let's say schools were to open up tomorrow, mm -hmm. why isn't hazard pay being discussed? Right. So, like, that's the thing. A lot of teachers, that's, I think a lot of people get it twisted where they assume teachers don't want to come back. We want to come back. But when they're taking away our steps in our pay, when they're mm -hmm. taking away our raises, and then Democrats claim that they are for, all for equity of our children. Meanwhile, children of color and special needs students and our EL students are yep. being directly affected by this decision to go online and you're not going to give us hazard pay. What do we do? Yep. Exactly. Mike, could, Mike could probably go out right now. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Mike could go out right now and get a low level job at any office and probably make $10,000 more in Northern. Yes. Virginia. Oh yeah. Absolutely. If I sold out to corporate world, absolutely. And, right. and, there, and there are a lot of others like you out there where it, it's because of that passion to give to the children and, and really that passion to help educate them. And that's why you do what you do. And to see the way we treat our teachers, um, it, it, upsetting isn't the word for it. But to see Democrats say that we're for teachers and then when they pull this BS, I mean, if, if they're a priority, make them a priority. And to see what the administration did to our teachers, like I said, I, I don't get the union endorsement. I don't expect to ever get the union endorsement. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to push for the teachers because it's about the children. And if I don't have the best teachers, I'm hurting that next generation. And Glenn, I'm glad you actually step up and, and talk about that because, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of Republicans, I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. We, we are now here where we're, we're on our backs. We have a, a, a boot on our chest right now. We have to be honest. Republicans didn't really treat public school issues seriously. Republicans were perceived as not always being in the teacher's corner and pushing for private school only when we should be pushing public and private because mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. Yes. Um, I feel like we've been put in this corner where we've moved away from while the Republican Party nationally is moving towards a more working class um, uplift everyone type dynamic. The Republican Party of the state is still stuck in the whole Southern genteel classist mentality. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a problem. Right. No, I agree. I mean, you know, our party is a party of level playing fields. It's a party of, you know, everyone, the equal opportunity for the American dream. It doesn't matter where you were born or what you were born with. It's the ability to go out, work hard and create something for yourself and your family. And somewhere along the line, I think our party kind of missed that, which is why people perceive we're not that big tent anymore. Right. It's it's I was talking to a group of Latinos today. Uh, they're Republican in nature. I mean, the, one of them came here from El Salvador. Uh, she worked. She she came through New York, you know, legal process. And she's like, Glenn, I, I I'm a Republican. I, I came here to create something. And she uh, didn't speak English when she came here. She came here in high school, um, learned English uh, through the help of some of her friends in high school. She now owns three companies. But she's like, but when I go to the Republican committee meetings, I don't feel comfortable. It's like people look at me and, and it, it, that's what we got to get away from. We got to realize that in uh, almost all cases, I mean, those that come to this country are coming for the same reason my grandfather came here. 
And was that American dream to work hard and create something um, and get that big 10 back. Well, and that's, I see a lot of candidates in this statewide field that are saying, where the hell did my state go and where the hell did my party go? And I think you're in that category. I think mm-hmm. you're, you're at that point where you're looking at, you know, you're looking at your life's work and you're saying, this is not what I want. And I think, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's, we have to acknowledge Glenn was also the one, the only one, mind you, that called out a charlatan on the house floor. Yes. And unfortunately we now have a female form of that same charlatanism, which isn't going to grow the party. We have to be frank. Right. We have, you know, we, we're not, we're not, you know, and that's the thing. We have a party right now. I feel like we've been ranting. I apologize, listeners. We've been ranting. Um, <laughs> I think this is the angriest podcast. <laughs> angry. We're just angry. That's not angry. Usually that's the fun one. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm so fed up with this stupid, dumbass special session. I'm just, I saw, so I, I had the privilege traveling with Kirk Cox this weekend. I was with Kirk and I was with Todd Pillion and Israel Quinn and Will Wampler and some of those guys. It just looked tired. It just looked like, and, and I can sense it in you, Glenn, like you're just tired. Like this, it, Matt, Matt I, I go from, I'm either tired or angry. And, and I'm not angry at necessarily what I see going on. Of course, I don't like it. I'm angry because of where I see our country and our state heading. I know the opportunity I had growing up. I knew what I could achieve by working hard. Um, and I'm seeing that opportunity go away for the next generation. I mean, we're all put here, I believe, to make, to make sure that we have the same opportunity or better for that next generation coming up. And I don't see that. It's what my grandfather told me. It's, it's what his father told him. You know, they fought World War II because of that next generation. You know, my uncle that was in Vietnam, you know, it was, it was about making sure that you know, that, that freedom was protected for those behind him. And, you know, we do what we do because it, it's, we got to preserve the opportunities for the next generation and it's going away. So when I say I'm angry, it's because of that. I, you know, my wife and I are, are fine and we're going to be fine the rest of our life, but it's not about us anymore. Um, because the only legacy I think we all ever have is ensuring that next generation has that same opportunity we had. And I see it slipping away in Virginia and I see it slipping away fast. Well, Well, we need the alarm bell to be kept ringing because I feel like if you're not angry or tired, that's why we've gotten here. I feel like the Virginia Republican Party just chilled for too long. Oh, Bob McDonald in 09, that's gone now. That was now, that's over 10 years ago. And we can't run campaigns um, the same way we have anymore. No, Virginia is more diverse. Virginia's an entirely different state now than it was in 2009. Well, we're, we're entirely different. And, you know, we saw poll numbers today out of VCU um, when it comes to the president and it comes to Mark Warner. And it's just, this ain't your grandpa's Virginia anymore. No, no. But, you know, one thing that I, I now this, I think Republicans have an issue with this. Um, so we got to get better. But one thing that I do like that I'm seeing is more and more people are demanding candidates and voting for candidates that are authentic. You know, you gone are the days where you can take someone, give them to a consultant, they get put in a blender and out pops what they think someone should be. 
I mean, Matt, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think people voted for, for Donald Trump, not because they were Republican, but because they knew Donald Trump was going to do what Donald Trump said he was going to do. They knew he was authentic. I think it's the same reason people supported Bernie back in the 2016 primary, because they knew that Bernie would do what Bernie said he was going to do. And I honestly, I didn't agree with Bernie, but I do believe had he won and became president, he would have tried to do what he said he was going to do. And whether some people like Trump or not, I think everyone agrees Trump is doing what he said he was going to do. We need candidates with a passion that walks in, some, in front of someone and, and they feel that that passion, they feel the authenticity. And um, I think we need to stick with that a little bit more when it comes to our races. Well, and I, the problem is that we have this, uh, just, I don't know. We have, and the other, the other problem is that we have half the state that is New York and the other half that is South Carolina. Um, and, and I come from the South Carolina half, um, you know, and, and you were one of those people, this is one thing I always complain about and Lynn gets mad at me because I swear sometimes on the podcast, but some, some candidates get to Southwest Virginia and they kind of look constipated because they're miserable to be there. You were never one of those people. Yeah. You like, I say that about you. I say that about Ed Gillespie. I say that, you know, no hesitation. Just, I'm glad to be here. Put me around, show me where to go. And was just happy to be there. And that's. Matt, you, you put me in a pair of jeans and a rolled up button down shirt. And I am a happy as a clam. So I won't mention areas where I'm not as comfortable, but I will tell you any area where you can give me that, that uh, George Bush look, I, I am extremely comfortable. And that's why I love being out that neck of the woods. The only thing I didn't like about going out there is when I went to uh, the, Rocking, uh, the Rock, Rockingham County Fair, no one told me I could bring a car for the demolition derby. So next time I want a car. Well, I, that's a little dangerous. Like, <laughs> I realize this is like a dangerous thing. You can get hurt doing this. I've watched people get hurt in races like that. Um, but so we're at this crossroads. We've spent the past like 20 minutes just straight up ranting. Yeah. We're at a crossroads. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do to fix it? Like, we've bitched about it for 20 minutes about how Virginia is just terrible and everything's awful. How do we fix it? We, we have candidates that have spent years building relationships with non-traditional Republican communities to help bring them into the tent and are able to walk in front of them and respectfully ask for their vote. We have candidates right now running around trying to figure out how we resonate with the minority community, how we resonate with the female uh, suburban voters. Why don't we just pick candidates that have spent the last decade building those relationships? You know, we, we, it's pretty easy when, I mean, I was on, there's a large um, Hispanic uh, and Latino radio station down here uh, with, um, they hear, uh, I think most of the Eastern side of the, um, of Virginia and, uh, and then broadcast elsewhere. And I went to their show last Friday, they had me on there and three times during their, during their uh, hour long thing came out with a strong endorsement for me. And the reason why they did that was if you remember, I carried the bill this year um, for business licenses. In some parts of Virginia, um, if you could not get a business license, even though the IRS gave you an a, a EIN number to pay taxes, but if you couldn't show a social security number, the localities, because of how they interpreted a certain law, would not give you a business license. 
So I came to them and said, I will go and I'll work for you and I will fix this. Developed a great rapport. They didn't expect me to do it. They've seen Republicans come to them and say, I'll help you vote for me. I'll help you vote for me. And they get in office and they never hear from them again. When I invited them up and we got that bill passed, they were ecstatic. And now, Glenn, how can we help you? I can go in that community. The African-American community down here, I have great relationships with. I was on city council down here. I, Matt, you probably remember me going into uh, Moosby Court back when I was lieutenant governor running you know, for that race. Every lieutenant governor was invited to a, to a candidate forum in Moosby Court at uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School. I was the only Republican that showed. Why? It wasn't the traditional Republican voter, so why are people going to go? You go because if you go into the community and talk with them, you can build the relationships. So my answer would be, let's stop picking people that need to hire a consultant to figure out how we relate to a community and start picking candidates that already have those relationships and can I, go in there and welcome I, them. I think, I mean, that's, it has to be genuine. It can't mm -hmm. be, if you have to manufacture how, or have to look up how to talk to a certain group, then maybe you shouldn't be in politics. Yep. Um, because it should, if you're just doing classic retail politics, it doesn't matter what community you go into. It's okay to strike up a conversation. Glenn, I feel like, you know, Matt rightfully so talks about how his area of the state is neglected. Uh, however, in Northern Virginia, um, I feel like the Democrats really double down in Northern Virginia. And I think what the Republicans don't do is we are trying to figure out where to win everywhere else. But how do we appeal to Northern Virginia? Because whether we like it or not, without Northern Virginia, without Henrico, without where you are, you cannot win Virginia at all. So there's just no math to make it up. So how do we run, you know, in, in an area where in Northern Virginia, like what Matt said, it's a Northern state. It's not Southwest, it's not Charlottesville, it's completely different. Right. How do we also, you know, take your uh, campaign and apply it to all aspects of the state? Well, the, the first thing you do is you use technology properly. Look, I mean, the first time I think we've ever used technology um, better than the Democrats was 2016 with Cambridge Analytica with Trump and how they were able to target message and micro-target. And you got to get the message to individuals and what they talk about around the kitchen table. And I think that we've always been really bad about that. And I'll tell you, you know, when it comes to off-season, Republicans are great when it comes to spending $3 million to try to win a race, you know, in four months. What we're bad at is continuing and working on relationships for the other 17 months of the, uh, of the two-year cycle, right? I mean, so that's what we have to do. It's, you can't just run into a community, you know, for three months and say, vote for me. I, I identify with, you know, the concerns and opportunities that your community has and then run away for another 17 months. Well, um, so that's what we have to do. But this, the first thing is you go in there and you talk about what's important to them. Um, and you have to show up. That's important. I would argue that the biggest problem we have as Republicans isn't the conversation. It's we don't show up. I mean, it's the Mosby Court issue. You get invited someplace, do you go? Let me ask you a question. So I will tell you, my aide knows that we get a lot of phone calls into our office. The way I prioritize my phone calls, I like to talk to everyone, but we get an overload. Anyone that yells and screams with me at me and calls me every name in the book, they're the first ones to get a phone call back. And they are surprised as heck when they get an 830 phone call from me, right? And those that disagree with me the most, I'm going to have a call with because one, there's a two-way learning opportunity there. I probably will learn something through those phone calls, um, and hopefully they will as well. But let me ask you a question. How many other legislators do that? How many of them prioritize 
disagreeable calls over some of the ones which is, you know, the, the thank you, just wanted to give you a heads up. And I, don't get me wrong, I call those back too. But, but why do we shy away from the hard discussions, the hard audiences, and take the easy way out? We have to be willing to go where we're not comfortable so we can welcome those people in. Well, and here's another thing, and I just want to touch back. Republicans suck at something, and I just want to complain about something again. You are not one of those people. You bring the same staff for the most part. You've had Peter in Virginia Beach for four or five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Peter's been banished to Virginia Beach for a while. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the people in the suburban neighborhoods of Virginia Beach are probably tired of seeing Peter. They're like, okay, we're just going to vote. <laughs> no one wants to Peter. Peter. No one. <laughs> like, every house is like, we've seen Peter. We get it. He's knocking for a Republican. But, right. like, you keep staff and you keep candidates in that area for the 17 months there's not an election. And you keep candidates – and that's, that's the thing where I think we struggle upon is that we get people come into a community and they come in four months before the election. They want to, you know, they want to build all these relationships. And in six months, they're gone. They're in, you know, Kentucky, Massachusetts, wherever. Yep. And I think, that's, I, I think that's not indicative of just running campaigns. I think that's, you know, the candidates don't stay involved. Even the elected officials I mean, you know, we're spoiled because we've had Ben Klein and Bob Goodlatte, who just are everywhere. Um, But, you know, some of these House of Delegates members, some of these state Senate members, you see them. I mean, really, you don't really see them. No, no. And that's that's what we're dealing with. And I think you made a great point with that is that we have to we have to show up the other 17 months in a two year cycle. Yeah. I mean, campaigns, we spend a lot more. And I think I proved it last year. I mean, Matt, you saw the numbers. They spent over a million dollars to take me out last year. We got out spent over four to one. They spent, what, $450,000 on TV? We spent zero. I, I turned down $85,000 from my own caucus because I refused to go negative, hard negative on my opponent because that's not how I was going to run my race. Um, and we won. And remember, this is a district A Gillespie lost by five. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we won is I, I've been out in my district. I live out in my district. You know, we go to, I go to communities that are not traditionally Republican um, because, one, I still represent them. I'm there to help them. And secondly, I, for me, it's competitive. I want their vote. I, it may take me a long time before the Green Run Precinct ever goes Republican. I think I'm up to 38% now. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's an area that I find is a challenge. Um, and so I think that's really kind of what it comes down to is we have to be out there and that's how you get outspent four to one and you win an election that and not sleeping, you know, sleeping at the office for four days, uh, you know, during the, uh, during the last five weeks of the election, um, you know, four nights a week at the office helps too, but. Well, that, that commitment and that dedication to every community in your district, regardless of how they vote and with Peter knocking doors is how you win. Oh yeah. That's how you win. If, if you really have boots on the ground and treat it like, you know, a clear strategy, you will beat money every time. Money is irrelevant at that point. We had, we had a team the last week of the election. I mean, you talk about guerrilla marketing. I had a team go out with flyers we produced at like midnight and literally ran through neighborhoods, leaving stuff on their doors at nine o'clock in the morning um, to get the daily message out to an area that, uh, that you know, was going to be a swing area for us. I mean, it was guerrilla marketing out there, but it was, it was at that level. And when 
3,500 letters from me with a handwritten note, you know, on the bottom from me, I, I knew what the pulse was and having Peter out there, it's, it's that personal touch that makes a difference. Um, we don't need to spend the same amount that Democrats spend. We can win. We just have to be willing to do the work. Well, and that's the thing. Too many of us are, we'll put TV ads up, but we won't, you know, actually yeah. knock a door, make a phone call, do something actually important. Well, Matt, what did Michael Bloomberg uh, teach us? You could spend half a million and just get American Samoa. Actually, it was half a billion. <laughs> half <was> a billion. <laughs> yeah. A billion with a B, and he got American Samoa, four delegates. I always like to point that out. Like, Michael Bloomberg spent a half a billion dollars and got American Samoa. Yeah. Um, you, you know what's really funny is that, so a lot of people don't know, I mean, I ran a national IT company for a number of years. And with that, you know, I, I oversaw our marketing budget, which on TV alone at some points was pushing 100000 a month. And, you know, nationwide. And, and what I was trying to tell our franchise owners is a lot of this is worthless when we, I took over the company because back then, you know, when you're talking, you know, 2009, 2010, there were already TiVos, right? And people were skipping commercials. And back then it was worthless for broadcast in many cases. Now, you know, you don't even have to fast forward through a commercial. You hit the D button, right? Or how many people, heck, I, didn't, I don't think I've watched broadcast TV this whole, you know, in the last week. Now I've watched a lot of TV, but it's been, you know, kind of app-based and, uh, and Netflix and stuff like that. So we're missing people with traditional, we run campaigns like we did back in 1999. And unfortunately the millennium's changed. Well, you know, and that's the thing. We can't just, you know, we have to talk to voters where they're at and they're not on broadcast TV anymore. Nope, nope. They're, we need to be micro-targeting. You and I have talked about this. And we have nerdy conversations about this, but we have to target a voter who may not have a cable connection, but they turn on the golf channel app every day to see how the PGA tournament's going. Or we talk to this single mom who only has cable to watch HGTV. And when she's watching it on her iPad, we give her an ad to talk about safe schools. Yep. And that's, that's the whole Cambridge Analytica argument is that it, it's what I'm doing now for a couple of candidates in other states. I mean, I, I think I mentioned that. I, I mean, I've got a data analytics company. That's what I started about four months ago um, uh, through some partnerships with some New York firms. And we're working campaigns in other states now to help them do exactly that. Well, and that's, that's the big point is that we don't talk to voters where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that's just not indicative of your race for Lieutenant governor. I don't think sometimes that, you know, I think on the national level, we don't talk to voters where they're at. And I think that's indicative of 2020, you know, and, and the numbers today out of VCU were not good for Virginia. It just, it really kind of just, it's like, ah, crap. But, you know, Virginia is a state that we can win back if we just present a message that shows people, you know, we care about safe schools, safe neighborhoods. We care about the rule of law. We don't want bad cops. We want safe cops. We want good cops. We want good teachers. We want, you know, and that's... Well, Matt, all you have to do is copy what Mr. Hogan did to the North. Well, you right. know, I mean, if, if Larry Hogan can be the first Republican elected twice in over 50 years in the history of Maryland, and only three Republicans have been governor in the history of Maryland, um, we can get Virginia back. 
And the sad part about all this, Michael, is that if Larry Hogan ran in a Republican convention in Virginia, oh yeah, they wouldn't even nominate him. He'd be tarred and feathered. You know. Sorry, we're ranting again, Clint. Yes. Matt, to your point, I mean, look, with everything the Dems have done, right? So from defunding the police to killing the small businesses, you know, to to on down the qualified immunity. I mean, you you go on and on the the attacks on the Second Amendment, which even you know Democrats are out there, you know, and they value their Second Amendment rights. If we can't win next year, shame on us, because I could not design a better perfect storm for Republicans to take back Virginia than what we're sitting on right now. Now, it takes the right messengers, it takes the right messages, and it takes the right the right delivery mechanism. But if we can't put that together, shame on us, because we'll never see this opportunity again where they've overreached so bad that you have moderate Ds out there saying, oh my God, what have I done? Right, exactly. So um, we've pretty much summed up your campaign. You're running <laughs> officially. You're running officially, and so we're looking forward to having you travel Virginia again. Yes. And we're looking forward to you having, um, you know, coming back. And I, I think that, you know, it's it's nice to see a friendly face again, and I think we speak for all, everyone in Virginia. Um, so one more fun topic, and then we'll let you go. Yeah. Um, are you watching anything good on Netflix right now? Have you got anything you're – binge watching so so yes so um i'm watching lucifer oh glenn what so you're running in a primary you just <laughs> lost, you just lost, lost the southern christians yeah, you so, something something about you know something about the devil coming to earth and getting a conscience and helping solve crime you know it, it sounds yes. like no, it's I a you. Just don't tell, just when you ask Bill Carrico to go to church with him, don't tell him that. <laughs> um, no. Glenn and I, I I'm going to put the link. I'm going to send the link to everybody. Glenn and I got to do a podcast a few months ago um, uh, called Transition Virginia, and those guys are so much fun to hang out with. Um Michael and Thomas are people I look up to in podcasting and I hope to get like them one day because they ask good questions. Um, But we're still talking about this. How do we win Virginia and what happened to Virginia? Because we've just, I mean, we went from, we went from a state that elected George Allen. We elected Bob McDonald. We elected John Warner. You know, we elected, you know. Oh, John Warner couldn't get elected today at a convention. John Warner, oh, God, I I wouldn't even want to see what – and John Warner was a statesman. Let's all be real. Yep. You know, I think about – I think about – I don't know if Bob McDonald could win, you know, whatever happened while he was governor, just take Bob McDonald, 2009 Bob McDonald. I don't think that Bob McDonald could do well right now because our party – I don't even think Ken Cuccinelli wins a convention. I, that, yeah, you may be right. But, but, but the difference between Bob McDonald and George Allen, why I think they're still that they could. So remember when George Allen and Bob McDonald ran, they ran on big ideas, right? I mean, George Allen, you know, truth in sentencing, um, you know, welfare reform, Bob, you know, with the transportation plan, the, the, the uh, you know, the economy, and then a plan for the economy. 
since the transportation plan, name me one big, bold endeavor our party has put forward. Just one. Because I can't think of one, okay. right? I mean, we, we didn't get elected with George Allen because George happened to, his father happened to coach the Redskins. It didn't hurt. Now, maybe with me because I'm a Cowboy fan, but, you know, but for most of Virginia, it didn't hurt. But he had ideas. And, and the reason why Republicans won after George became governor was because he delivered on those big, bold ideas. Same thing with Bob McDonald. Bob McDonald got up there and said, I'm going there for this. They're big, bold ideas. He gets there. He does them. Bob's for jobs. Bob's for jobs. And he works on the economy and he delivers a transportation, a bipartisan transportation plan, a bipartisan truth and sentencing and welfare reform initiative. Where has that been since then? And I think that's how Republicans win again. We, you know, people accused us back in, in 2016 and, you know, and, and 14 and 15 of being the party you know. And honestly, I can't blame them. I mean, you know, we, you don't get elected to put your head in the sand. You get elected to solve problems and to be big and bold. And some of those things are really tough, but we, we have to put our head in out there and we have to do them. I think if we get a team that's willing to put together those big, bold initiatives and, deli and deliver on them, not only do we win statewide in 21, but we win on the backside of 21, which is what it's going to take to get Virginia back again. Glenn, wh where can our fans find you on social media? Um, so uh, social media, if they go to uh, davis4lg.com is the website. They'll see the links there, but we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. Uh, just go to Dell Glenn Davis or Dell G Davis, and you'll find me on all of them. Well, Glenn, we're so excited to see someone with actual substance running for lieutenant governor. Um, and not to say that, and that's not a snipe at the LG field. The LG field is pretty decent. Um, you know, there are certain candidates running statewide that just present no substance. And I, I'm excited to see somebody of substance. I'm excited to hear some substantive arguments about real governing. And I think that's, that's something you've always been interested in is governing, not, not bickering, not bitching, governing. And I think that's, I think that's, you could put that on a sign. No bickering, no bitching. Governing. I like that. <laughs> Even though um, that's what we did this podcast, but we did a lot of bick We did a lot of complaining, but we, th we, th Glenn, um, so special session, do we have any end in sight? Do we see any end? I mean, the, the end is when the Democrats say is the end, right? I mean, I don't know what's on tap for, you know, Thursday at this point. Never mind, you know, when the end's going to be. Um, I think we all know what the House Democrats want as the ultimate end and what it looks like. Thank God. And I never thought I'd say thank God for the Senate, but I, I guess I have to thank the Senate. Um, but I don't think the House Democrats are going to get to their desired end because of the Senate, uh, both Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. Um, so um, I don't know how long that is going to be prolonged, Matt. Um, but I'm just, uh, you know, the longer we're there, the more damage gets done. So the sooner the better it ends, you know, the better for Virginians. I think everybody's ready to go home. I, I People are... Yeah, I'm ready to go to Richmond. So the senators are ready to come home. Matt, I, I, I'm ready to get there because this, this whole scenario of people being locked out and not locked out and our buttons not working is just getting a little bit tiring. Well, I think everybody's just a little bit frustrated. Um, yeah. And we're ready. We're ready to see some governance and and Speaker Corn and Majority Leader Herring just aren't doing it right now. 
Um, so we, we're hoping for you to, we wish you the best, not only in your Lieutenant Governor campaign, but we wish you the best in special session so that you can get through this and we can get on the campaign trail and we can start winning again in Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for listening today. Um, Glenn has dealt with our complaining, um, but there's a lot to complain about in Virginia. So we appreciate it and we hope you'll come back and see us next week.